available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. That's an inside joke because I screwed up saying 24-7 Sports on our previous <laughs> Because take. this intro that we've done one million times <laughs> still doesn't come off seamlessly literally ever yeah it's it's not easy dave you know doing all, you do all the stuff going on and here we go try to record something simple like a two-hour podcast talking about pac-12 football <laughs> you'd think it'd be simpler than it is but it's not um we do appreciate all of you out there listening and if you would like to be part of the show pretty much that's what we love to do we want to answer your questions to the best of our ability usually it's not very well but we'll do whatever we can Pac12podcast at gmail.com is our email address. We get a lot of emails. I've got like 10 or 12 today we're going to go through. You can tweet us. Uh, we're trying to be more active on Twitter at Pac12podcast. Our website where you can find all of our old shows, Pac12podcast.com. And if you want to leave a voicemail, you can call us at 641-715-3900 and then dial extension 734 nine seven two we love the voicemails i don't think we have a voicemail this week dave but we do got a lot of emails and we got a bunch of tweets yeah we i think we really do need to change the number i can't remember who it was but somebody was giving me a lot of crap about that number there was just it's too long okay yeah we'll we can do a google um you know what not google play is uh google voice google voice uh, yeah it, or, or whatever it is like it, yeah I, I use that for see here's the problem though i use it for the the peristyle podcast I switched. I had one of these switched to the Google Voice. Now people can text you too, so you get text also. So yeah, we I, don't want that. We don't. No, maybe we do. Who I knows? think we kind of do. But then you would actually, so you can like text people back on on the computer when you're logging into this thing. Well, we know I won't be doing that. <laughs> we should make you. You have to set it up. You actually set up the. Uh, you set up the Gmail. Maybe we'll have I did. you. Yeah, yeah. So maybe attach. Uh, a Google Voice to that. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe I'll go ahead and just do that. Yeah. Dave loves the time. ideas that I get to execute. So when it, <laughs> I'm an ideas man. That's, that's what I am. I'm an ideas guy. Um, we did get a couple of new five-star reviews um, of the POC on iTunes. We are still hanging tough at five stars with 128 ratings Sweet. on iTunes. Um, We've Been Served says, good. Unlike the Pac-12, this is a good podcast. <laughs> and I would agree the Pac-12 is a bad podcast. In fact, I don't even think they understand the form. Um, A-A-B-B-C-D-E-E says Pac-12 podcast with substance and P-E dot dot dot. So titles on my little iTunes display do not display correctly. In any case, uh, with substance. Um, Ryan and Dave, thank you for the time and effort you you put on this podcast. Insightful and entertaining love it 
We love the reviews. Keep them coming. That review seemed like it was from someone who just created an account to leave a review. Does I that... think they did. And you know what? I appreciate that more than somebody who's – I mean, who are these people who are like real iTunes folks who go around reviewing a bunch of stuff? We don't want those. We want the first-timers who are like, you know what? I just feel so strongly about the podcast yeah. game that I have to leave a review right now. Do you – this is kind of an off thing. Like I, I'm not uh, like I'm not an Apple person like I have – you know, Android stuff or whatever, but I, you know, I use iTunes for, you know, listen to podcasts, whatever it is, use the feed from iTunes. Um, and you see people that are like, like you said, they're active people. Or if there's someone on Yelp, who's like reviews, everything, every restaurant they go to and stuff, um, or YouTube, like subscribes to all these yeah. places on YouTube. Like, I, I guess I'm, maybe I'm just too old. I don't do some of that stuff, but I'm looking around and there's like these YouTube guys that are just like, they got like 15 million subscribers you're like holy crap man there's a lot of people that care about some guy jumping around and, and doing some antics it's pretty funny like this whole world that you don't even like realize is out there yeah they're making so much more money than you or i like nice. so much more <laughs> like these youtube people are just it's nuts it's nuts but the yelp thing i get like um yelp i i, I understand it's like reviewing restaurants and things and yeah. i think it's a useful service even if you know they like to you know, hold up businesses for, um, advertising dollars, but whatever. Um, you know, I, I've never gone really wrong with like a, Oh, it's a four star place on Yelp. It's probably pretty good. Yeah. Oh, my wife loves using it. I just, I need to do that. Even like I use Amazon all the time, but I like never review anything. I probably should do that a little bit more, you know, but, um, eh, eh, you could just be a, you know, a, a leech on society. Like I am. That's fine. <laughs> Nice. I don't know how we went went down there. Uh, little it was rabbit. great. I, I loved the whole thing. Nice. Little rabbit hole. Uh, okay, so we have a lot of questions. Uh, we were well, yeah, we're going to try to get a guest we couldn't get this week. We'll pr- try for next week. Some Pac-12 stuff. But we let do. Them, don't let the people see us sweat. Don't oh. let them see the struggle. We, we, we planned this show exactly the way it comes out. All right? Every week. Every week, it's exactly what we intended it to be. Well, we, yes. I got, so to be fair, I got a text for like three hours ago. Hey, we're going to do a show today. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Um, You're taking them far too far behind the curtain right now. <laughs> I don't like it. So then it's like trying to get a guest. And uh, yeah, well, well, there was a, some big news or big topic that I think a lot. It's funny. I, I'd like to discuss it with you because from a media person perspective, like you have a certain view of things and um from fan perspective, it's obviously it's different a lot of times, and this this has to do with Kevin Sumlin and our friend Michael Lev, who you know, I knew pretty well when he was covering USC for the Orange County Register. He had since moved to Tucson, and he covers all things Arizona Wildcats. So if you're an Arizona fan, I'm sure you're familiar with Michael Lev's work. Um, I think he's the only like full time beat writer on the beat right now. Um, no, I think, you know, like Jason Shear and those, you know, his crew, those guys go out to practice. But I think as far as like newspapers and stuff go, uh, I think he's the only guy, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And found out. So he goes the first practice, you could see about 15 minutes worth. And Kevin Sumlin would speak and gave, you know, talk, talk for about 15 minutes. And they were informed that was going to be the last time you would hear from anybody until the spring game. So. That just seemed like a very and it it caught you know Michael Lev tweeted that out I think Jason Shear was tweeting out something similar um, a lot of comments a lot of uh, people reacting on social media on Twitter and stuff um, it was a pretty crazy 
few days. Now, I think he kind of backed off and he's going to allow some. I think it worked. I think like he kind of or whatever. Someone got to his ear and said, hey, you can't do this. But for his initial reaction to do that, Dave, just seemed kind of strange to me for a brand new head coach or you're trying to, you know, push some of these nice stories that you get in spring football and not all the negative stuff that's been going on in Tucson over the past several months. Yeah, and I, I don't know the specifics and the particulars, but I wonder how much of it is um, Kevin someone. So this happens to a lot of coaches towards the end of a, their tenure in a particular place where they start to get. I, I don't know if you've had this effect. It certainly happened to like each of the three coaches who've been fired in my time covering UCLA: Jim Mora, Rick Neuheisel, and Carl Durrell, where they get almost like verging on paranoia, but like really anti media and anti-media coverage because they think that's part of the problem that's making their tenure maybe go bad a little bit um and i i I wonder if that was happening with someone at texas a&m towards the end there because he had he had a rough last couple of years there and i wonder if he started to develop a little bit of a maybe a, a a thought in his head that you know he he's opposed to the media or some way or some way the media is out to get him because Walking into a situation where you're trying to build excitement, especially in a situation like Arizona that lost its coach, wasn't really expecting to um, going into the offseason, um, has had obviously some some black eyes in other respects. You want some positive stuff out there. And so for him to walk in and do this um, just strikes me as weird. It strikes me as weird behavior that maybe speaks to maybe he's carrying over a little bit of something from his from his A&M days. Yeah, and I thought that was a really good take you had on Twitter about that, where it's like it was like fast forward to the end of the career, which you don't really expect that in the beginning, you know. And and you know, and Chip Kelly very closed off in his, you know, where where he, you know, where he was coming from uh, last time he was in college, you know, as far as dealing with the media, and opens up all spring practices at UCLA, and you know, maybe some of that is a product of the environment where Los Angeles is a professional sports market. Uh, you close practice, they're not going to even talk about you because there's plenty of other things to do. And you have another university. If one's open and the other one's not, then most of the media gravitates towards your rival. So there's different circumstances. I think with Arizona State, you see a similar thing being in Phoenix. I know some people commented on Twitter that Tucson's a, it's like a, you know, it's a closed market as far as like, that's the only game in town. So you still have to talk about Arizona football, even if we don't give you access is, is kind of what some people were saying. So maybe that had part, you know, something to do with it, but it was very strange. And especially with the environment that's been there now, spring football, you get to talk about backup left guards and, and their interesting family stories and things like that. You're talking about stuff that's a lot of fluff, you know, and just, you could tell some really interesting stories about players that you might never even see in a game in the fall. And to close that all off uh, with a new staff and new everything, uh, it just seemed very, very strange. Yeah. And uh, so I want to speak to that because like, you, you mentioned like the dichotomy between fans and then media members and how they approach this. Cause I, I read Lev's mentions a lot and it was a lot of fans saying, well, what does it matter? It doesn't really matter what you guys are writing right now. You know, we only care about the results on the field. And I find that like uh, disingenuous to the point of lying. Like, yes. yeah, okay, you don't care about some mid-spring notebook. I get that. But how many of these guys are the same ones who whine and bitch when there's somebody talking about Arizona football who's not informed, right, on like radio or on like TV 
or you know writing an article, writing a national column or whatever. If you don't have access to these guys, if you can't talk to the head coach, if you can't talk to the assistant coaches, if you can't talk to the players, you're not going to have a really informed position on it. And if you don't allow access to these things, these jobs are going to go away. Like there's not going to be a beat writer covering Arizona football because there's nothing to cover. And it's not as if Michael Lev can go and just uh, hang out in the in the football building and just wait and see what's going to happen. That's not something that the Tucson Daily Star, whatever the newspaper is called, is going to invest in. Um, there's a there's an, an element of symbiosis to this relationship where, I, you know, these sports programs they they're going to want this because it does you know lead to more fan interest, more fan engagement, and more fans you know under you know. Uh, I, I just think it's it's really short-sighted for fans not to want or not to support um, things that are – this is just crazy. It's stupid. Why – what's a good reason not to have this? Yeah. To diminish distractions? <laughs> what does that even mean? It's yeah. talking for like five minutes, and it's most likely going to be a fluff notebook because it's not like anybody's writing anything like hard-hitting in the middle of April. Like, it's just this is the time to put everyone out there because they're all going to put their best foot forward. It's the beginning of your tenure. I just I don't know. The whole thing's stupid. But like the the people and I, I get it because there's a whole, you know, you know, there's a whole group of fans on every message board who are like, oh, support the coach until things go wrong. And so they're going to support everything the head coach does. But this is this is just a dumb thing. Um, yeah. and it's good, it's good that he's moving. It's good that he's moving away from it, but it's still dumb. I mean, I, I don't think he's talking still until the end of spring. I think he just made assistance available, but I still don't think I'm not sure, but I don't think players are available still. Yeah. I, 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 I don't, I'd have to go back and look what Lev said exactly. At least I, I was happy they backed off a little bit, but it didn't seem like, you know, but it was something, it was at least the, the outpouring of support for, you know, Lev and the other people that cover the team. Uh, and like I said, it's, I think it's just usually a one or two. It's not a couple people there. It's not like it's you're you're catering to fifteen re, you know reporters or anything like that. So it's not like that much. You know, you don't really have to worry about it that much. But th- the point that you made about um, there's there's a fan there's a group of fans out there that will support the coach no matter what. So he could you know run you know, cut off a, a bus full of orphans driven by a nun and like well he really had to get to work that day. <laughs> <laughs> there's stuff like that, right? There's there's going to be those kind of people, and I and to be fair, there was some that were like, you know what? I'm gonna, you know, he's he's new, he doesn't whatever, he's gonna do his things this year, and then I, if he doesn't back off next year, then maybe I'll be critical. But they weren't going to be critical at this juncture. So, but it's when you look at it, I hate that kind of like they make college football out to be. Uh, like, you know, it's spy versus spy or something like there's this crazy CIA KGB element to it. It's like, it's football, you know? And, you know, we've seen plenty of people have open practices and, and have, you know, fun and, and enjoy things and it, it would work okay. And when you talk about spring football, like nothing, you know, you're going to, your, your, your game is going to be broadcast on the PAC 12 network. Being able to talk to players and coaches can only make things, you know, turn things positive. And if you're Michael Lev and you get to come to practice every day, and write a fluff piece on whatever player you want to, that's pretty much what you're going to focus on. If you're not, if you're closed out for a month and a half, you're probably going to dig up, you know, Freedom of Information Act stuff and try to dig up crap that you don't want reported. What else do you have to do? Yeah. 
it's just it's just dumb. It's short sighted for the program. It's short sighted for fans not to want coverage of the program that they follow passionately. It's just yeah, I, I know there's a whole anti media sentiment with a. I mean, and it's been going on for decades. But it's just you want this because otherwise there's nothing. I mean, there's your your. This affects your scout site too. This affects all of your recruiting coverage too because you know. One of the ways you get access is access to the program and learn stuff about recruiting is putting a face to a name and seeing people at practice on campus and those sorts of things. And if you reduce those opportunities, you reduce those opportunities to you know get in touch with the assistant coaches and learn more about who they're recruiting and what's going on. And like all of this stuff is part of the game. And, you know, whatever you feel about the job of sports media, whether you're resentful of the fact that people have those jobs or whatever it's still part of the enjoyment of college sports. Like it's part of the whole entertainment value of it. And if you take it away and if, you know, you allow these coaches and I think this is more and more prevalent, you allow them to kind of cut off access to various things and, you know, make it more closed down. You're going to overall reduce the interest level in the sport. You just will. Yeah. And I think the, in a, from a PAC 12 sense, and this is where I I tweeted it out, and I think Lev liked it or whatever, where it would be good to see Larry Scott kind of step up and say, you know what, we need positive, as much positive coverage about our conference as possible. This isn't the SEC where it doesn't matter what you do, people are going to love you, it's the most popular you know league in, in the country and all that. It's not, you know, and it's a league that's going in the wrong direction. And to close off the entire media with, your, you know, one of your feel-good stories is you're bringing in a coach the caliber of a Kevin Sumlin. And you got Khalil Tate and all this stuff. To, like, close off the media, it's not going to help, you know, you control your own program, Kevin Sumlin. I don't think it's going to help your program, but it's certainly not helping the conference. And that's where I felt maybe Larry Scott could step in and say, Hey, Kevin, we need to do so, you know, we need to do something here. We need as many positive stories as possible, especially – Coming from Arizona, we don't want to talk about FBI or, um, you know, lawsuits and Rich Rod, all that. We just don't want to talk about that stuff anymore. You got some really good stories going on there. Let's let them be told uh, by the media. Now, we don't know. Um, I'd have to follow up with Lev and see if he knows any kind of behind-the-scenes stuff of of what ended up happening. But it seemed like at least somehow the word got to Kevin Sumlin, like, yeah, maybe this isn't the best idea. Let's back off a little bit. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of my read on it. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that all shakes out with their spring ball. But uh, even if it shakes out completely like assistants and players are available, but Kevin Sumlin's only available twice, I think that's still really dumb. That's where I'm standing yes. on this. Uh, no, no, I, I completely agree with you. Like they, they should be a lot more open than they are. I But I think it's a positive sign where a head coach comes down with a decree and then – there's sort of an outcry and they make at least make some sort of change to it. Yeah. So, agreed. A little something there, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> it was very weird. I, I, I don't know. I always feel pretty passionately about that kind of stuff where I just don't well, want to yeah, see college football go of, that. Yeah. I don't want to see it go down that road. Even from a selfish perspective. Yeah. Like, and also from the, exactly the good of the sport perspective, it's just, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, you can shine this on a couple of media guys whining about media access, but uh, this is so absolute. Like, all right, you want to make it so only offense 
only offensive players are available this day and only defensive players are available this day and quarterbacks are only available twice and freshmen are never available or whatever. Fine. Okay. You can explain those rules. That's fine. But the, we're just not going to have any availability. You can't talk to anybody and you can't attend practice. Okay. Well, let's just go follow men's lacrosse then, I guess. I mean, it's just, you're, 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 you're hurting. I mean, you're obviously hurting somebody's profession. Like, I mean, this is, that's not good news for like a Michael Lev or anybody in any of these markets when they hear, Oh wow. So I'm not going to be able to do my job basically for a yeah. month. Um, during one of the key times where, you know, we get a lot of traffic and we do a lot of things on this particular subject. It's just, you know, it's not good for them. It's not good for the program. It's not good for anybody except paranoid head coaches. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we did get some tweets from our buddy at pdog206. It's Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there are eye charts, Dave, that were uh, were sent to us. So he sent us a series of six tweets. Reviewing. Not- so reviewing our um, our deep dive series. Yes. Um, and he kind of broke down a lot of it. Um, I think he and Hithliday would get along swimming. Yes. Um, so they, they should definitely uh, meet up for a confab. Uh, but Andrew gave us a lot of good feedback on our um, shows. He also, if you want to go into our mentions, he sent us um, basically these eye charts breaking down each Pac-12 program, essentially since I think it was the 1920s. Let me see what I got here. 1940s. I'm going back way too far. Um, 1940s, breaking things down first by kind of these objective accomplishments, you know, whether or not they won a national championship or had a major bowl win or finished in the AP top 10, 20, where they finished in the simple rating system ranking, um, which is kind of a compilation rating for a bunch of different ratings um, since the 1940s. And basically it's, it's his, you know, I think uh, somewhat informed by statistics methodology for um, ranking the various programs. Um, I really recommend diving into it. And then if you want to go ahead and, and just, if you want to dive into it and then write us just like a quick, yeah, Oh, <laughs> 7,000 word essay explaining everything in it. That'd be great. Cause I'm doing my best here. Um, but it's a lot to look at. And my uh, attention span is minimal these days now that I have two children. Yeah. It's uh Dave's more of an advanced stats guy than me. And like he, he knew, for example, like the second chart SRS, like what that was. So he could explain that to me, but um, Andrew, it'd be awesome if there were, you know, you should probably have your own blog or something. Cause there's, I think you have some really good data here, but put something together. Or even if you want, if you want to do a write up, we could put it on our blog, you know, but isn't there some SB nation pack 12 site where Andrew should be like putting the stuff up? <laughs> yeah. What, we we'll use them on ours. We we have a blog. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We 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 do a network too. We, um, yeah, we'll we'll put you on ours. Well, I mean, not just our net, not like twenty four seven sports, but I mean, even on packedfullpodcast dot com because yeah. it's basically just a blog. We would, I mean, that'd be great to put up there, but it needs to have some content. We need to understand, like, tell us what you're doing. Um, like, here's what you know. I love people just send you a chart and like. Did you even say what this is? Like, we don't even know what it is. You're supposed to look at it and figure it out. But, Andrew, I think there's some awesome stuff there. So if you wanted to email us with some sort of explanation, we could download each of the tweets and put it in there with, like, okay, here's what uh, Andrew says about USC and UCLA and what these means, what all this what all this iChart stuff means. Um, 
But it's basically it's, showing like what where they're supposed to be, right? Or you know where you think they're, you know. Yeah, it's like it's it's a good um, I think graphical representation of program strength because um, like looking at this, you can see like Washington State like on these most recent ones he sent us. I'm just pulling this out because Washington was our last show. Washington State is nowhere in it with Washington in terms of accomplishments, in terms of average finish, in terms of all of these different metrics. Um, you know, Washington's just a much more accomplished program. And it's, you know, it's it, it's good to have that kind of visual representation where you can see it just kind of in place, like effectively, like on this on this top one, for example, which just lists like the different accomplishments, national championship, major bowl win, all these things. They've just got more squares filled in, filled in than Washington State. And so you can pretty much take it from there. And he didn't like um, speaking of the, the Washington show. He says it was a little disappointed in that show. Uh, too many mentions of Don James and Chris Peterson when the series about was about structural issues that transcend any coach. Washington is 2.5 in Pac-12 history. So basically, um, I w- would be behind USC and UCLA. Is that where he's putting them? Or like tied? I don't know. Uh, I th- so he's saying behind USC and probably tied with UCLA would be my guess there. Okay. Effectively, I think. He um, says that for I, other reasons than simply because Don James and or uh, Chris Peterson are awesome. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's, I think that's a fair criticism because we did go a little bit heavy on that one for that show. I think there were a couple where we went, um, and it's probably not fair to Washington because on another one, uh, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Um, there was another show that had one kind of big figure head coach, but I'm slipping on whoever it was anyway um oh it was oregon state we we talked about it kind of like the way we talked about oregon state where we're like how do they get back to the mike riley era and obviously washington was a lot better for a lot longer than oregon state's ever been so probably a fair criticism yeah um he did enjoy the zeros so i think that that's he's referring to oregon is that he liked the oregon oregon state podcast so that was cool um Oh, he liked the rest. He liked yeah, the rest. he liked the rest. Yeah. yeah. He said Cal's the nation's biggest long-term underperformer relative to nearby talent. Um, I don't know. Did we? Do you, do you feel that's the case? Oh, gosh. I can never get past the fact that UCLA is located in Los Angeles and has been garbage for about 18 years. But that may, might, be, might be my own personal predilections. Yeah, I think Cal has an argument. I mean, the Bay Area is obviously... I think Bay Area football wasn't as big of a deal until relatively recently, I want to say. I think it's become more of a big deal, especially like not even just the Bay Area itself, but like the north, like Central Valley area, like around Sacramento and all that stuff. I think that football has kind of taken off. And obviously they don't have a great destination to go to that's not, you know, Cal or I mean, obviously they can go further down and go to the L.A. schools. But um there's enough local talent there that Cal probably should be better than it is yeah. historically. Um, he liked, let's see, the uh, Utah-Colorado one. Um, he said more faith in Utah going forward. He talked about Arizona-Arizona State saying they're actually, despite the uh, newbie status and lower population back then, the first 20 years in the Pac-12 for both programs was better than the second 20 years. I didn't really think about it that way, but I guess it was. Yeah, well, I think Arizona State was coming off of the the Frank Cush years when they first entered the Pac-12 yeah. or Pac-10 or Pac. 
yeah, they were in the pack, pack 10. 10. Yeah. Uh, I was like, pack eight. No, they were the ones that, <laughs> and, um, yeah, that would make sense because, and also then the Jake Plummer years get classified in the first 20, right? Yeah, I would say. So yeah, that would, that would make sense. And then for SAUCLA, he said a concise statement to use USC is the most, uh, strictly, what is that? Strictly advantaged recruiting. I think he, it, structurally is a different word. I think he means structurally. Structurally okay. can mean something vaguely similar, but I think he means structurally. Yeah, I think it, I I think he meant that. Okay. Um. So I think that's probably why you would be because you know UCLA has very similar advantages, um, location and all that. So uh, maybe that would be why there. You know, there's a lot more red higher up on the chart than there is blue saying that, you know, you know, every once in a while USC does something good where we don't see as many good things happening on the UCLA side, despite, you know, similar environments and everything. Mm. Is that, is that right or no? I think that's fair. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure I don't, I'm not, you know, I should be more into advanced stat stuff, but. Um, no, it's very weird that you're more of the engineer type, but you're like numbers, <laughs> none of that. I like that. I mean, I just know the traditional numbers a lot more than the, you know, the advanced stat stuff. And it's funny when I've had people talk about it and for whatever reason, it's something that once you like learn it, you just assume everyone knows it or something. And you're like, no, I don't really know what the hell you're talking about. Maybe you want to explain. And then the advanced stats people, I've not run across good ones that are good at like talking to someone that doesn't know anything about it and explaining it. Like they just know they're like deep down into it, like right away. You're like, well, you know, go to the top and explain, you know, Give me the 35,000 foot version first, but they don't seem to want to do that. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me. It's my, I'm, I'm getting old, man. Get off the lawn guy kind of thing. I know. I know. Get off my lawn. It's but been a thank, while since I've been an engineer. Yeah. It's been a while. P-Dog 206. Thanks for the tweets and stuff. And uh, yeah, we'd love to do something maybe a little more with that. We'll see. All right. So we got some housekeeping a little bit. A couple of personnel things. Looks like Brandon Dawkins might transfer. Well, we knew he was going to transfer from Arizona. It looks like he has a chance of transferring to UCLA. Interesting. Uh, and that's potentially going to happen because KJ Carter Samuels, who uh, UCLA thought they had in the bag, uh, decided to grad transfer to Colorado State instead. And he was, as you know, coming from Washington. So a couple of quarterbacks moving around potentially. Was there a tweet that you said didn't um, age well or something about that? Yes. So UCLA tweeted out. Um, so, so, I mean, it, KJ Carter Samuels did, I think, sign some sort of grant aid, you know, the thing that's non-binding. Yeah. Um, and they, they tweeted it out in mid-February. Welcome to Westwood, KJ Carter Samuels. So he probably signed something because I don't think they're allowed to tweet those things out without that. And uh, that didn't turn out quite the way UCLA would have planned. He remained a Bruin for about three weeks there. <laughs> and uh, so now he'll go to Colorado State. It sounds like this was uh, uh, something where he um, thought he probably had a better chance of starting at Colorado State. You can't begrudge a guy who wants to uh, really play his final year. So Right. Good luck to the former Husky there. Yes. Um, it's funny. I, was at, uh, I went to the uh, Sweet 16 at Staples Center. Uh, a friend of mine who's a Fresno State booster invited me. They had like a suite, so that was kind of cool. And uh, a lot of talk about Marcus McMarion in there. So they're pretty they're pretty happy to get him. Um, yeah. He won some games for them, so maybe the Beavs could have used him 
I so uh, I don't know. I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna look at his stats right now because I always thought Marcus McMarion was like decent, and I, I never really thought he was bad. And was he actually bad? No. All right. So his year <laughs> where he played the most. So he had uh, in 2016. He threw 10 touchdowns, five interceptions, um, averaged 7.6 yards per attempt, uh, completed almost 60% of his passes. He was fine. Yeah. Like, man, what kind of standards does Oregon State have that they weren't just giving that guy the starting job? <laughs> I know. It's pretty tough. Um, yeah. But yeah, when you see someone like that, and that, you know, transfers don't always work out, but sometimes it works out great, you know, and a player just needed a new environment, whatever. Um, Fresno State was just so bad at quarterback for years. And then, uh, you know, after Derek Carr, they just couldn't find anybody. So they needed someone to kind of step in and, and take the reins and, and you know, be able to win 10 games last year. Uh, huge, you know, huge props to to him. But you, you think the, the Beavs could have used him maybe, <laughs> you know? Yeah, Fresno State, um, Tedford, Tedford has a very well-earned reputation um, for – developing quarterbacks so it's going to be interesting to see if they can start competing a little bit i mean they're probably not going to take any qbs from usc and probably not you know ucla but uh there'll be there'll be some tough competition there i think some some of the uh mid-level guys on the west coast are going to want to start looking deeply at fresno state because he does develop guys into uh real players yeah there was just a, a few years then and i you know like i talked about so he's now um, you know, the defensive coordinator uh, at Cal, uh, Tim DeRuiter. Um, but I, I just felt like he never felt comfortable recruiting California. He was recruiting a lot in Texas um, where he, you know, he had come from Texas A&M. And I think Jeff Tedford's getting the more, you know, getting some of those local guys now. And some guys that would transfer out and, you know, or, or like the five-star. Fresno gets a bunch of like four and five-star dudes that end up going to like Oklahoma or something. Uh, but then they might come back uh, if they, if things don't work out, and they they got some players like that too. So um, it I don't think they were on the radar as far as like recruiting locally, where you might worry if you're Cal or Stanford. Not you're I mean you're usually going to get the guys, but these guys might come in and take someone early that you were going to go after things like that. Um, I, I think now you have to worry about that more if you're recruiting California for whole for the whole Pac-12. That Fresno State's going to be a player a little bit more now than they were you know, the past several years. Yeah. He's had six first, uh, first round, uh, draft picks at quarterback that he's coached. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a good, I mean, it's a really good hire, you know, bringing him back. He was in the Canadian football league, I think before, and, you know, had a great run at Cal. I mean, he had a lot of success, you know, you know, um, when you can tell it's uh March in the podcast of champions, when we spend like at least three minutes talking about Fresno state, <laughs> You know, <laughs> conference Fresno State is in, not the Pac-12. No, Mountain West, but um, but uh, probably a more successful basketball conference. I was going to sure. say, didn't you have a? Did you have the Darren Ravel tweet up or? Um... Uh, um, I've got it. It just got added to me. So uh, Darren Ravel tweeted this out a couple of days ago. Um, One point six four million. What the Pac-12 earned from the NCAA's revenue sharing program for the twenty eighteen tournament. what the Loyola Ramblers earned for the Missouri Valley Conference from the NCAA's revenue sharing program for the 2018 tournament. So Loyola earned more, and by earned more, I mean like earned about five times as much (laughs) 
as the entire Pac-12. <laughs> it's funny, but it's sad. It's a it's, it's a laughable. Funny, it's funny, and it's just very funny. It's actually I I, I would not say sad. It's just very funny. <sighs> That's what we're talking about, people. That's why you know. That's why we're sitting here talking about Fresno State right now. Yeah. Uh, oh, we got a lot of questions. Should we get some questions? Yeah, I'll, do, I'll jump in with Justin first. Is that cool? Sure. Let's All do right. it. All right. Because then Hithliday's next, and you have to read that one because I I started reading through it. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do this. Um, not We love Hithliday, but this was it's pretty long. So I'll let you edit in your mind or however you feel sure, fit. Sure, 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 sure. David Woods made a throwaway remark that Larry Scott's model bet on the collapse of cable to work. Uh, I think So he's talking about the, the comment you made about that what Larry Scott was saying for the Pac-12 networks to work, basically cable has to collapse. Honestly, I don't think it would even then. Uh, had they had a direct-to-consumer subscription model in place from the beginning, not only could they have used that as leverage to get better pricing from the cable and satellite networks, but then they wouldn't have been held hostage by those networks because the subscriber could go around them. They still don't have such a model in place, and I haven't heard of talks about it. I know they got a contract with Sling a couple years ago. I subscribed last year and got a few Pac-12 games. I wanted to see and canceled because I couldn't stream it on my TV without it stopping every couple of seconds. Apparently, you need to stream it through a specific hardware that works specifically with Sling, and the whole thing just became a joke after a while. Set up an app. Allow anyone who subscribes to it to watch anything on the Pac-12 network through the app. No seven channels nonsense, just a list of options to stream. Oh, and make sure it works with all streaming devices. This isn't hard stuff. Uh, that's from Justin. Yeah, and I, I do want to be clear. I don't think that it was intentional that this is that he's betting on collapse of cable. I think that's just retroactively like maybe this will end up making sense if cable collapses and the Pac-12 is the only thing left standing. But I don't think that was intention. I don't think when they were planning this, whatever it was, seven years ago, that they even had a real inkling that cable was going to collapse. Right. That didn't even become real trope until what? The last two or three years? Yeah. So I don't think that had anything to do with the planning of this. I think it was just a stupid bet. Um I don't think he had a really good feel for any of this. I don't think anybody in the league office really did. They did something wholly different. I think, I don't know, I think it was because they could, so they could show these Olympic sports and they just figured, well, we're another big league, so people are going to pay us money for it. I don't know. Um, but looking at it now, yeah. I mean, if they'd been actually, you know, had some forethought and, you know, had actually been anticipating the way these things were going, yeah, they 100% should have gone to a direct-to-consumer subscription model. But that speaks to them actually have, having not been forethoughtful. This right. was not something they thought about and like really weighed all the options. They just, I think they made a egotistical bet on what people were going to be willing to spend for, and by people I mean what DirecTV was going to be willing to spend for the Pac-12 network. And uh, that didn't bear really any relation to reality. And so from my understanding, the problem is, and I think, I mean, Justin's a great, that's what you would want, but because of the existing deals that they have, I think there's two problems. One, they did promise all this live, like that was their thing. Like we're going to put all these live sporting events up, which cost a lot to produce and nobody's watching them. So it's, it's kind of this waste. That's why you have all these seven channels. You're putting all these live shows out there that are live events that nobody's watching. 
But on the other side, um, you can't sell an app because you basically their app is you have to get the Pac-12 network through one of the existing deals. And then if you log in with that deal, so if you have Sling, you can log in with that and you can watch on your your iPad or whatever you want. But they can't sell it separately because that would go against the deals that they currently have. So, um, And I think the deals they currently have too, um, they couldn't give DirecTV a better deal because then it would pit, you know piss the people off that they currently have. So I think that's part of the whole problem is they, you know, the early deal signing being terrible and promising stuff that nobody really wanted, like all these live uh, Olympic sports. And now you're in this predicament where they can't just go out and do a direct consumer thing because of, of the existing deals they have. Yeah. I believe that yeah. that's my understanding of it. So hopefully that I'm sure that's correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure there would have been a way with proper planning to get around all of that, but yeah, yes. I'm sure that's correct as of right now. Um, the, but yeah, I think that's the way if cable truly does collapse, that's the way that any of these leagues will actually still have a sustainable model. I think, um, that's televising everything and i think it speaks to the way technology is going people like i watch tv more often unless it's like a true like live sporting event but even then given all the things i'll watch on my phone or my ipad or even my computer compared to the tv i mean it's at least 50 percent wow that i'll watch on devices versus the tv and part of it is the resolution on a phone or an ipad like for me the resolution is the big deal and Frankly, like if your TV's, I mean, mine's mine's good, but it's like in the lot. It's I bought it five years ago, but most of these phones, like the distance that you're from the phone, I mean, it's about. This, I, I, I'm not getting like any real issue with the size of the the display. Is what I'm saying, um, and I like the resolution of it. So, yeah, I, I think more and more people are going to that from a convenience standpoint. So anything that is much more convenient for devices where you don't have to like sign into your AT&T account or your DirecTV account right. to watch something. I think that's probably the way this is all going. Yeah. All right. Hitler day. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, I'm going to stretch for this one. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> we're going to start off with something I've only ever read and never pronounced. So we'll see how this goes. My nom. So this is man of steel from Hithloday Almond, our, our MVP. My nom de jour, that can't be right. My nom de guerre. I think guerre, but I don't know for My sure either. My nom de Gary. My nom de Gary <laughs> is a reference to the character in Sir Thomas More's Utopia, and its meaning in Greek is speaker of nonsense. You'd love the book. It's a story about an imaginary land far to the west where there are no laws, religions, or private property. Sound familiar? Uh, I was impressed to learn that 94% of Ryan's Twitter followers agree with him about Larry Scott, since that's a vote with the ballot integrity and uniformity that would make even Vladimir Putin jealous. But I was disappointed that y'all didn't draw a clearer line between DirecTV and March Madness outcomes. I mean, if only UCLA got the same revenue as the A-10 and could afford the cool half million dollars St. Bonnie's coach makes, or if Arizona had the same TV exposure that Buffalo and the Mac does, forget the Friday Friday games Ryan loves, bring on the Tuesday games. So obviously, um, Hitler Day is, is trolling us pretty hard there. And I think <laughs> because I'm I'm I think I'm more of this idea that um, m- money money matters, but uh, uh, I mean UCLA having Steve Alford as its coach is probably more of a big deal. <laughs> anyway, um, I was inter- this is from Hitler Day. I was entertaining the idea of writing a little skit for you boys to perform. 
which would take up your proposition from last week that the conference commissioner's job is to sit down his bosses and convince them to fire their underperforming coaches and ADs. Ryan would play USC president Max Nikias, re- uh, receiving David as Larry Scott, who's trying to tell him that while Lynn Swan is a good fit for the Pac-12 and that he has zero administrative experience or acumen, he's just not corrupt enough for the modern game and wondering aloud what Pat Hayden is up to these days. But it broke my heart to hear the catch in Ryan's voice as he pivoted from racing through the actual reasons the Pac-12 was in its revenue situation, West Coast geography, disloyal fans, idiotic coach hiring and firing, etc., to try and think up any concrete reasons supporting the transparently ridiculous notion that a guy who doesn't coach or hire the coaches for any of these teams is responsible for their performances. And Ryan doesn't deserve that to be reduced to the role of old man Carruthers, who owns the abandoned amusement park, grumbling after he's unmasked that USC would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you meddling kids and your women's water polo broadcasts. So instead, I'll try to construct for you a steel man, the opposite of a straw man, where you come up with the strongest possible version of the other person's argument. It goes something like this. And just as an aside, uh, the steel man is a much, much better um, argumentation technique, because if you can actually come up with a steel man and still point it as ridiculous, then clearly the opposing argument sucks. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Pac-12 schools might have the short-term resources to meet their program goals, and it may be that the long-term bet on 100% network ownership works out. But in the medium term, we're headed for a fiscal cliff for three reasons. One, clustered hefty buyouts in the next six years as more than half the football and men's basketball coaches are going to get fired for manifest incompetence. Massively ballooning debt service at schools like Wazoo and Cal as we exit the post-2008 zero-interest window and the Fed clamps down on inflation. And three, mounting legal costs over the FBI investigation, accelerating sexual harassment lawsuits. If you think these are confined to Arizona's athletic department, I've got some beachfront property there to tell you, uh, to sell you. Uh, Falling off this medium-term cliff is a unique hazard for the Pac-12 because its fickle fans will abandon the programs as they fail to keep up with the arms race and coaching salaries, and seasons like this happen more often, killing off donations and ticket sales, creating an inexorable death spiral. In other words, Pac-12 schools have so thoroughly shit the bed that they can't wait for Larry Scott's gamble to pay off and instead need to turn tail and unconditionally surrender to ESPN for a quick quick cash infusion. Long-term consequences be damned. Just to be clear, I don't buy the scenario, but it's the most credible version I can think up for the other side. Is that fair to say? Phew. Well, props to you. Uh, I need a cigarette. you, You did that well. I thought I did well. Yeah, that was great. I mean, uh, when you start off with nom de guerre, it's like, okay, what? <laughs> That's yeah, right. no, it was a struggle, but I got through it. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's let's take these. Let's take these. Uh, well, I don't know how to take this. Um, yeah, I mean, so do we need more I, six more shows to to discuss this, or what? We... <laughs> <laughs> well, they took some shots at me. Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's fair. I think that's always fair. Sure. Uh, and I, so I think there is an element here where the money, I don't know. I mean, I, I get what he's saying that the money it doesn't really have as much of an effect on what's happening right now. Like the fact that the football and men's basketball issues are happening right now doesn't really have much to do with money that's already come into the league, right? Because this gap is what we're projecting in the future. Right. Yes. Like the significant gap. Um, So it's more about the hires and fires and flexibility you'll have in the future from all these programs. But it doesn't necessarily provide a great uh, thesis for explaining um, what's already come to pass. 
Sad. No, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and I, I think we were pretty fair when we talked about if you look at Pac-12 basketball last year, uh, you know, three teams in the Sweet 16, if I'm not mistaken, Oregon, Final Four. Um, it's just, you know, from one year to the other, one was pretty good and one was was god-awful. It just so happened that when all of this negativity surrounding a lot of decisions that Larry Scott made, not not coaching decisions, not anything like that, um, not hires. This is Pac-12 level executive decisions made by Larry Scott. Uh, a lot of those were coming to light, um, impacting some of these coaches, you know, like the Pac-12 schedules and things like that. Um, I think you saw it just everything kind of came to a head. And I think when you're talking about those high-level decisions, is that why the Pac-12 didn't have anybody playing after Thursday on the opening, you know, th- no one played besides the open outside of the opening day of the NCAA tournament? No, that's not directly why. But you did have someone at the top making these bad decisions. Like if you're in your car, hopefully, I'm just going to make this up. Hopefully this works. You're in your car and like a check engine light comes on. That doesn't mean your car's about to blow up, but you should probably check it. And you, if you make the decision that, well, I'm going to, you know, drive to Vegas this weekend, so I don't want to go then. And you, you make some decisions to not go get this checked out. And eventually something breaks down. It Maybe it wasn't what happened that day, but you had made a decision a while ago that you knew eventually could come to a head and that you could be dealing with this problem. And I think we're seeing a bunch of those decisions that were made maybe six years ago when this television contract was signed. We're seeing a lot of that come to head and it's all, it's getting worse and worse and not necessarily all those bad decisions mean six years you know, to the day. Now it's all turning to crap, but it just happened to have a whole bunch of stuff turning to crap right around the same time. Now, plenty of, you know, there's the presidents are to blame because they've given an extension. Uh, they've hired, you know, fired some of the wrong people. There's been a lot of that too, but you can't discount the horrible decisions that Larry Scott has made and putting the entire conference into a bad position. It's not the reason for everything that's going wrong with the conference, but there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of reasons for it, but I think his decisions are in the forefront and it's not making it, even if you have all the schools now trying to do the right thing, the conference is putting them in a much tougher position where you can't just do the right thing. You have to do something exceptional just to be on par with some of the other schools uh, from these other conferences who are making much better decisions at the top, allowing the schools to make mistakes. These are academic institutions. They're not run like Fortune 500 companies. They're run so inefficiently. There's always problems. Like that's academia. That's just the world that we live in. Um, and so, but you're putting these schools in a much, much tougher position where they have to be run like a well-oiled machine that, you know, uh, answering to shareholders and all that every quarter. That's not happening in, in the academic world. So that's just kind of my take on the whole thing. Sorry, that was kind of a long rant. No, I thought it was good. Um, my my only edit would be, I, I think we you would have to draw a clear through line between the money and how it's affecting things now. Because what the, the league what the league controls as it's presently constituted is, you know, the league contracts and those sorts of things. And if the 80s and university presidents are making decisions because they believe they're hamstrung by finances, then I think you can point to league issues. But I guess, like, I, I from a projection standpoint, I think Larry Scott is doing a bad job. Like, I think it's going to be bad down the road. 
Um, I think you can maybe point to some things already, especially with football, where there it does look like there's going to be a competitive imbalance pretty shortly because SEC schools are paying their coordinators insane amounts of money already. Um, and there's recruiting budgets that are probably a little bit different in SEC territory that, yeah, the Pac-12 cushioned from it a little bit because of regional differences. Um, and, you know, most Pac-12 schools don't have to recruit out of their bubble um, as much. And, you know, so the, the direct competition isn't as great for talent. Um, but at a certain point, that's going to come to a head because if yeah. if you're paying the best coaches suddenly two times what all the Pac-12 coaches are getting paid, then that's going to become an issue. But that's so my my critique is more about the future. I think right now, look, if you look at um, so if you go to it, I mean, I'm just going to read them off because I don't know if anyone has a login, but Ken Palmer is usually pretty good about you know allowing us to talk about it. Um, Ken Pomeroy, everybody should subscribe to his site if you're interested in college basketball at all, kenpom.com. He has his rankings of the different leagues, um, just kind of what what their efficiency is, basically his metric for quality. Um, And the Pac-10-12 hasn't been higher than fourth um, in any year since 2009. And I think for the most part, they've been between fourth and sixth. that's just, I mean, that's not going to end up with good results. That's that's making you the bottom of the power six. Occasionally, you know, a league like the Big East, which doesn't even functionally exist anymore in football, uh, is ahead of you. Um, it's just, you know, and that speaks more to me to a lot of really, really horrendous hires being made at the university level. Um Bad basketball coaches being hired, bad ADs making bad hires, bad presidents not prioritizing athletics, um, and potentially, you know, the whole culture of the West Coast, like the whole fact that just sports, the whole athletics thing, it's just the college aspect of it, at least uh, college aspect, college football, college basketball, just not quite as important out here as it is in other regions. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's like a many fold problem. I think that speaks more to me for like what's been the problem so far. And I think if you're projecting ahead, there's some obvious, you know, some obvious sharks in the water upcoming um, with just the imbalance in terms of finances. Because, I, you know, I, I was on this show, what, three months ago saying, oh, I don't think the money's that big of a deal. And then suddenly a bunch of coordinators were getting like $2.2 million contracts. <laughs> and suddenly, okay, well, then that becomes an issue. Because um, no matter how West Coasty a guy is, you know, I grew up on the West Coast. I just want to stay here forever. I don't want to move. Uh, if somebody's willing to pay you three times what you're making um, and the school that you're at literally cannot pay you more than that, um, you're going to be hard pressed not to move. So, yeah. Uh, the talent. The talent and coaching is going to be, I think, um, where the money starts to hurt. And like Washington State ended up losing like their athletic director, right? And then, you know, defensive coordinator to go to Ohio State to be like a co-defensive. I mean, like it's a, a basically took a step down in a job to make more money. And you're going to see that more and more. And I, I think if you're going to make the argument that, well, it, you know, it's the money doesn't really matter all that much right now. I, I don't think you can always just pinpoint exactly why it's bad but in 2012 when when that deal was good for three months or whatever it was before everyone else passed them that was an influx of cash into the pac-12 and you saw a whole bunch of coaches get hired you saw capital projects being uh you know started and 
and uh, and priced out and everything. And you so a lot of facilities improvements happened. A lot of good coaches were hired. So having you know good money relative to the rest of the country helped the Pac-12 in 2012. Well, now you're talking five years of being far below, and it's only going to get worse. It can't, you can't look at that as you know. Oh yeah, that doesn't really matter because Joe Blow AD hired a terrible coach. I mean, I think it's all inter- intertwined there. And uh, you know, we saw positives in 2012, but we're not going to see any more positives until probably 2024 when the deal is up. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, uh, but we appreciate. It. Hopefully, we answered Hitler Day's uh, kind of. Question thesis to the thesis i think it was i think we were just providing a defense of ours or something yes of our thesis so i feel yeah i feel like he's my old professor or something um should we move on yes that's let's please larry scott must go so maybe uh this is from thomas maybe thomas and hitler day can get together and, and argue this out Hey, Ryan and David, as promised, here's my feedback on the first 35 minutes of your most recent podcast. It was very refreshing to see you both brought up more than the same stale reasons to make a change at the top. I will say, though, that none of the explanations appeared novel. Uh, that's not to say they they aren't valid or worth mentioning. Just so far as I'm not seeing anyone from Dennis Dodd to various Twitter trolls break new ground. It all sounds like a circular firing squad. Circular firing squad. That's interesting. That okay, working out too well for anybody. I know <laughs> that seems bad all around. Uh, it also seemed that neither of you gravitated to a specific reason, even if it's subjective. Even if it subjectively. Even if subjectively, maybe. No. Uh, yeah, maybe that's what he meant. There's an extra word there. Yeah. Uh, part of it is. Uh, part of it, I know, is because of your trademark style of playful banter. Even though it didn't gel this time, please know that back and forth is perhaps the top reason I keep listening. That's good, I guess. Even though you guys sucked ass this last time, <laughs> just know. Well, yeah. People- uh, he said, you seem to have really good chemistry between Ryan's thinking out loud and David's uh, dismissive and acerbic tone, which is like kind of like negative sharp, right? Like. So sharp, but with a negative tinge to it. Yeah, yeah. sort of a acidic almost. Yeah. Uh, there's your word of the day. So we got it. Yeah. Um, that brings up more a more general comment, which uh, if you don't have time to read now, given how long this email is already, I understand. Well, we're already this far in, Thomas, so we're going to keep going. One thing I noticed in podcast episode was name dropping. Uh, I don't know what he's meaning. Uh, one thing he's noticing is the name dropping of John Wilner. Uh, I've been a loyal reader of his for almost a decade now, and he's really been an asset. It was only recently that I got into Twitter and podcast too. One reason was that I got a link to my Twitter account to a newspaper's comment system. Uh, but the but the other was because Wilner himself started doing podcasts, and I began to follow his guests. One thing he hasn't been able to do is comb through all the different sources and voices and then spend time talking about them on air. Since he works in print, I don't expect him to, but the opportunity is there for you to draw out the really credible and insightful people covering the conference so that is so that I think it means us mere mortals can update our Twitter accounts accordingly. We do uh, draw out the really credible and insightful people covering the conference. We, we are talk trying to each other yeah. every single day. Every single week I talk to Ryan and he talks to me. <laughs> uh, I think we do a pretty good job. Yeah. Uh, we need 
There's really right? not that many. Like, I mean, we talk about Wilner because I think he does a great job and he's one of those guys. Um, we've There was a bunch more people commenting. We'll get Dennis Dodd here in the future. You know, we've had other people, um, you know, different guests on the show. Kyle Bonagora, we've had him on in studio. And uh, he does a good just, there's There's not a lot of people that just cover the Pac-12, like Dave was no. saying. Not many. Besides us. Um as you probably have figured out by now, college football fans are particularly interested in in-depth and multiple perspectives. This is because, surprise, surprise, most of us are college educa- educated and have jobs that require a lot of analytical thought. I don't know if most of them are college ed- educated, but a lot yeah, are. I think that's probably a blind spot for my man Thomas here. Yeah. Um, and, and the ad- analytical thought part, I'm not sure about that either. Happy to share more, but realize this email is too long. So you probably need to go to the bathroom by now, Thomas. Oh God, you don't you don't understand, Thomas, that we wear catheters when we're recording these. <laughs> Speaking of, I kind of have to go to the bathroom. Damn it! Thank you, Thomas. Um, yeah, th- you know it's funny when we we see this. So Dave and I, you know, we're active on uh, you know message boards on the the teams that we cover, and it is funny that a lot of the fans. I don't know if if you share the same thought, Dave, but. A lot of the fans feel like what they are is what most people are. So if you're a you're a UCLA oh, fan and you're just on, fans of athletics, yeah, you're that's f- everyone in life. <laughs> that is a common common perception fallacy. But like, okay, you're you're a UCLA grad and you're on bro. Like maybe you have your you your undergrad and you went to law school there or something, and you assume most people have advanced degrees. And and you're like, no, there's a whole bunch of people on bro that just are Bruin fans that never went to UCLA. There people don't get that a lot of times and the funny part is the message board culture like 10 percent of the people post 90 percent are just lurkers and reading the people that are emailing us that's a such a small percentage of our listeners out there and the the, the you know the the people that email they're like oh there, there's five four or five of us that we know we're the the main people on the show it's like there's such a small percentage it's funny that people just kind of assume what they are is what everyone else is and it's really usually not the case yeah a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I find that a lot. And I think we did an informal poll on bro once and it was like maybe 50-50 whether they were alums or not. It might have even been more weighted in favor of not alums well, of yeah. the institution. Which so, you, you would probably wouldn't expect even. But to say yeah. that most of them are college educa- educated, you know. Yeah. And uh, But thanks, cool. Thomas. Yeah, yeah, Thomas. That was good. Um, all right. And this is from Connor. Pac-12 Perceptions. Ryan and Dave, please give us your opinions as to how those outside the Pac-12 geographical footprint view the conference in terms of being a football conference or a basketball conference. For example, most people out West view the SEC as a football conference and the ACC as a basketball conference, whereas in the Big Ten, it might be somewhere in the middle. Let's ignore this year's results, which will lead to an answer of neither, and focus on the conference over its long history, Pac-10 included. Uh, P.S. Dave, you should know Ryan appeared on the other, the only other non-bro sports podcast I listened to recently, the Audible, and gave zero shout-outs to this podcast. <laughs> for shame. Sincerely, Connor. I echo that for shame. Sorry. Sorry, Dave. Sorry, Connor. Um, oh, you had to pitch your actual revenue stream, probably. <laughs> the not, not your weird hobby that you do with that bearded guy in Georgia. <laughs> I think we we could have brought it up if it you know I what was it about I think it was I think it was like all USC stuff that day so it was more about 
the uh, the Pac-12 pod. I mean, it was more about the the Parastyle podcast, but Whatever. I, I try to pro- I try to prompt you know pimp this show whenever I can. I feel cheated. Um, all right, to Connor's question, um, I would say a basketball conference probably historically, um, but I'd be willing to hear arguments otherwise. Um, I think throughout most of the '90s, especially, but because you know Pac-12, Pac-10 won two basketball titles in that time. USC wasn't really doing anything nationally. Washington won a title in 91, but in bat in football, sorry. Um, but I would say, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I think it kind of goes either way. I think it's sort of like the big 10 where yeah. it's, it's a lot of good basketball and there's a lot of good football historically. Um, so I don't know. I, so I've got a personal bias here. I think of all of these as football conferences cause I care more about football. Yeah. No, I think so too. Even like the, the big, the big 10, um, I would still even put it. Hell, I still pour one out for the football big East. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think neither is definitely the best answer that Connor gave, but oh, yeah. it would probably be some, somewhat of a, of a mix. I mean, you, the, the interesting aspect is you have, you know, one of the greatest basketball traditions of all time in UCLA and one of the greatest football in USC. So it's, you know, USC didn't have this, the kind of dominant run that, you know, John Wooden and UCLA had, um, the, you know, but UCLA just hasn't been able to repeat that magic. USC's had a few good runs, uh, you know, in college football and just to be up in the, you know, top five or whatever of all time programs like that's, so it, it's like you have some marquee stuff uh, on for both. So I would kind of say, you know, somewhere in the middle, but man, the ACC, you know, yeah, you think about basketball, and that's where. But man, they've had some really good football too. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of like Dave. I'm kind of biased where I'm thinking mostly football, and that's you know, back in the day, I I definitely watched a lot more college basketball uh, than I do now, and I I don't know what it is, but it's just not it's just not the same to me anymore. Yeah, I don't know, right. man. It's a uh, it's a bummer. Yeah, it's sad. Um, we have so many long emails this time. Holy crap! Okay, so this is. Uh, from Scott in Washington. Last podcast, talking points and two questions. All right, so we got, he's number, okay, I'm going to read, I'll read number one through 50 and you can take 51. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Ryan, Dave, a couple of responses to your last podcast and then two questions. So he has three responses and then a couple of questions. One, as bass, so I think he means as bad as Larry Scott is. As he's very like What? <laughs> Very he's bad. very fish-like. <laughs> he's very, those gills are very strange. Uh, I know. As, as, as bass as Larry you know, Scott is. Open air. Uh, as commissioner of the Pac-12, compared to Tom Hansen, Larry looks like Jeff Bezos from Amazon, who apparently is the richest man in the world right now. The bar Hansen set was so low it was buried in the ground four feet. But I, I would still it. argue that Hansen was closer to his peers than Scott is to here. his. I don't know what you think, Dave. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, I, I think we settled that Hanson was bad in a bad time for conference commissioners, so he was just kind of of the the ilk. Whereas Larry Scott is bad when a lot of other leagues are taking off, so yeah. we we say Larry Scott's worse. Two, the reason UW kept Lorenzo Romar so long after it was abundantly clear the men's basketball program was broken was that the former AD signed him to a 10-year deal after the 2012 season, 
Oh, that influx of money season. And Washington simply didn't have the funds to buy him out. Mm. So that's an argument. If that's true, that's an argument against uh, Larry Scott, right? Yeah, why did he give? That's tied to money. He he gave Washington too much money all at once, and then they they screwed it up. No, I I would say that's against. That's Larry Scott got him a little bit more money that year, and they screwed it up. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So that would be um, Hitlerday's argument on his side. Uh, The simple reason UW football went through a 20-year dumpster fire is we hired a string of bad coaches under Don James. His message to the assistant coaches was USC, UCLA were the measuring sticks, and Washington had to find the athletes to compete with them. Even now, the state of Washington only produces six to eight top-flight D1 kids a year in a great year. So back then, his recruiting philosophy was to own the state of Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii, along with Northern California. This was back when Stanford and Oregon were irrelevant in football and fill in the rest with kids from the LA area. It took Steve Sarkeesian getting uh, Washington football back to being competitive along with former SC athletic director, Pat Hayden, who deserves a statue in front of Husky stadium for what he did in hiring away him away to USC for Washington, then being able to land Chris Peterson. Hallelujah. Okay. Now for my questions. Right, any thoughts on that? Um, okay. No, I think it's all valid. Completely valid. appreciate the color. But, yeah, let's get to the questions. Uh, one, if you were to pay the athletes in college, as you both agree should happen, do you believe that would stop the illegal payments from happening? My opinion is not the le- not in the least, and that the famous SEC bag man would still be open for business. I mean, in my preferred system, there would be no illegal payments because everything would be legal. Yeah. Because you just pay people. And, and pay- if, if it's worth it to you to pay them more um, – as in everything else in society, you you would just pay them more. Yeah, and it's not really illegal now, right? It's just against NCAA rules. Like, well, the FBI yeah. would tell you something different. <laughs> uh, it depends on how much bribery is involved, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and how much reporting of it on taxes, because that's where it gets a little tricky. Because if it's funds that you don't want to, you know, necessarily let people know about, it's hard to report them on your taxes. Ah, so. yes. So there could be all that stuff. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, is it is it like the same sort of thing where okay, say you made uh, marijuana was legal everywhere in the country, uh, would that stop like would would that stop people from like going to their dealer and 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 buying weed or whatever? Like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not like a well. Well, it, it's more like if you did a half-ass thing where there was medical marijuana available in certain amounts for certain people. Um, and then you went above and beyond that to go buy more. That's, I think, basically a system where athletes are kind of paid. Like, right? Gotcha. One of the systems where it's like, yeah, you can make money off your likeness, we guess. Um, would that stop illegal payments? And no, of course not. Um, I think any situation where there is an opportunity to pay more money over and above the legal limit, um, if I'm reading this correctly, uh, I, I think there will still be people trying to do that. I still think there'll be people cheating in whatever way there can be cheating, but yes. I think um, I, I think my preferred system would not have money be the way they cheat because I would prefer players just getting paid whatever they are able to get paid. And I realize, you know, there are Title IX implications there, and I think you would need to revise that law, and it would need to be a big deal. Um, but I think you know, paying people an equitable wage for the work they do for you is a more important thing than you know. Yeah necessarily uh going through a little bit of a legislative hurdle yeah 
So if you're listening at home, Dave hates Title IX and women's sports. So that's what. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, kidding. I'm kidding. It, I'm kidding. No. But there are protections you'd have to put in place, right? Yeah. Um, you'd have to somehow um, account for football in the scholarship count that makes up Title IX, but absolve them from like the the monetary thing because something like tying to those being revenue sports versus the others not being revenue sports, something to do with that. I think you'd have to make some distinction. I don't know if it would require, you know, huge hurdles to do this, but we would have to see. Yeah. I always felt like the real quick title nine thing football. So I felt like I'm all for women's sports. I want to see equity and stuff. Football is just this, its own thing. I would love to see football because it's 85 scholarships. It's basically like you're ruining three or four men's sports because you have football and you have to you know balance, balance it out. I would love to just say, okay, you know, football pays for most everyone's budget. Let's not count that as a, as a, all the other sports have to be equal, but football can be its own thing. Like you get your 85 scholarships, just keep that on the side. I don't know what people would say about that, but it seemed like that might make things work out a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, I'd be, f- I, 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 I'll have to, I, I need to actually read the law at some point. Um, the 85, so is there a limit to the number of men's scholarships they can have, or is it just that it needs to be balanced against the number of women's scholarships? I think it has to, my understanding is it has to be balanced. So because of football, you always, there's always going to be this, there's nothing like that equivalent on the, the women's side. So um, like basketball and basketball kind of even out. So basically you have to have like three or four women's sports that don't correspond to men's sports to make up for like the football gap right, is my understanding. Right. And, and what ended up happening, I remember in my college dorm was like a lot of, uh, a lot of the women in the dorm went out for rowing because yes. rowing ends up being one of these sports that gets packed. Um, women's rowing ends up getting packed with um, essentially walk on athletes who then get scholarships because um, it's, all, it's filling out the number of scholarships that are available. Um, like I think rowing ends up being like the women's equivalent of football because it's you know you can have as a, a much bigger crew. Um, no pun intended. Yeah, I mean I I don't want to like <laughs> I, I don't want to think about I mean I I I'd want to think about it more. I think I'd be fine with something that doesn't rock the boat that much at this point, which I think would be something where you take football out of football and men's basketball most likely, and I don't know maybe women's basketball makes enough money at some places to take them out as well, but. You take them out and you pay them um, because they're actually bringing in money for the university and they actually have a marketable, um, you know, people are willing to pay them money to do their thing, right? Yeah. Um, whereas the other sports, I don't think anybody really is. Maybe baseball, I guess. Um, uh, but – and then just keep the scholarship counts what they are. Like still count them for the scholarship purposes, like 85 the men's scholar, uh, football scholarships count for that. Um, and that still balances against the women, but just take them out for purposes of um, of payment. Yeah, that makes sense. But it doesn't. So um, <laughs> all and strike it from the record. Okay, number two, the two best conferences in football, the SEC and the ACC, both only play eight game league schedules, and it's not a coincidence that they've had the most teams in the college football playoffs. Everyone agrees. It's lunacy that all the Power Five conferences don't play the same number of games. I don't know if everyone agrees about that, but I do. Uh, so could you ever see a scenario where the Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12 sends out a memo encouraging the other two to start playing nine games or then take a stand and not schedule any more games against those two conferences until they do? I understand there's uh, very few interconference games that would be affected 
but could it help getting the networks uh, talking about it and forcing a change? Love to hear your thoughts. Go dogs. Scott in Washington. I don't see it ever happening. And so I, it's hard to talk about the hypothetical, but yeah, I don't, I don't see that ever happening. I'd see those school, those conferences much more likely to switch to um, eight game conference schedules at some point than for them to just decide to boycott playing the other two leagues. Yeah, the SEC games the system better than anybody. They're not changing unless they're completely forced to to do so. So I think they know how it works. I mean, you you have teams, you know, you you had two teams meet in the national championship that never played um, in the regular season, Georgia and Alabama, right? USC and Stanford, who won the North and the South, played twice. You know, so like that's the difference. You're talking about you could you could avoid the best team around in your conference until you make it to the national championship game in the sec In the pac 12, you could never do anything like that. So um, I think that works. Uh, it works well for them. I don't think they're going to change it. I think the pac 12 should uh, go back to eight. I mean, you're an sec school. You could see like a Vanderbilt or something uh, go two and six in conference and make a bowl game. Cause they go four and oh out of conference. Right. Um, that's the kind of stuff that can happen in the SEC. Though you can't get anything close to that, so it it bumps everything up. I don't see them changing. I don't see the ACC changing. So it will be up to the other conferences to see what they want to do. Yep. All right. This is um, Robert with a suggestion for an annually renewing off-season topic. Uh, fellas, I loved the deep dive series that you just finished up. Spring football weekly updates may keep you busy for a few weeks, but come mid-April, the off-season topics and thus content is going to get leaner. Following in the mold of the deep dive series of bringing on the publisher of each school, perhaps a late spring or early summer topic could be digging into the two deep rosters of each school. Obviously, it wouldn't involve breaking down each player, but coming off of spring ball, there could be some amount of visibility as to who is positioned to enter fall camp in the two deep, and a general discussion of how each position group looks, and maybe a few player-specific bright spots could be fun to hear. The beauty of this topic is that, while the Deep Dive series is a one-time thing, this provides annual podcast content. Go Beavs! It's a rough sports fan life. I like the idea, Robert. My one concern is that (laughs) um, first uh, requires um, just tremendous knowledge from everybody involved we'd have to ask good questions about the two deep at every single school and i think that's you know well you've listened to this podcast for a while you know what's up (laughs) uh the other piece is i don't know how interesting it'll be for everybody um i would say this deep dive series we did well with it i think the people who were talked about with each show um certainly listened to it um they all were pretty even um in terms of listenership but they were not our best performing shows by any stretch. Um, I think they were valuable to do and important to do. But I would worry that if we go too deep into any one school with um, those deep, with these kind of too deep and two deeps. So if we're getting really behind the curtain here, there are some people on bro who I don't think could name more than like half the first string. And once you start getting into like two deeps, I think people's eyes glaze over. Yeah. That's even with the teams that they're interested in. The backup fullback so, is you're like, what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's certainly some definite stuff we can do kind of breaking into each team a little bit, but I'd like to do them maybe more as themed shows where we talk about everybody rather than doing kind of the, the, the deep look at each one. Um, but 
we'll we'll definitely think about it. I mean, I think it it gets our our, our gears turning a little bit. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. But that's no, right. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think you know it's it's tough, and I think having two at once was was nice. Um, you know, but maybe someone, you know, maybe the Pac-12, like a Washington State fan, wasn't really listening to our three shows where we talked about the LA schools, and the Arizona schools, right. and the Mountain schools. Um, maybe we mix it up somehow where we pair like, you know, whoever it is. It's like Utah and Oregon. You're on the, you know, you're on the same show, you know, so you can talk like about a North and a South team. Maybe we do it that way. I don't know. But you're right. Like to go that deep on one, you know, that you're probably listening to a podcast about if you like you, if you want to know about the two deep at Utah, you should probably listen to the Ute zone and what they talk about, you know, more than us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably a better use of their time and, and it's probably a better use of our time to, to take more broad looks at, at the conference as a whole and, and kind of, you know, maybe we could do something like, okay, so let's talk about, you know, the, the offensive system at these different, at all these different schools and what are they running and all these different things. Um, and kind of look at it from like a broad perspective of, yeah. okay, so is the PAC 12, is it still pretty spread heavy or are we all going kind of this pro style mishmash or is it, you know, trending a particular way. And we could do stuff like that too. Uh, makes sense. Okay. Let's see. We got a question. Coaching strategy from Justin. I thought he sent it to the wrong place because he started off. Hello, gentlemen. But I think, I think this was, he, he <laughs> might send it to us. <laughs> Great. That was, that was almost a dad joke right there. <laughs> Such a dad joke. Great job with the podcast. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Justin. That's very nice of you. Uh, over the last generation in college football, we have seen how innovative exploitation of the basic rules of football can lead to profound success, especially in the short term, before other coaches have had a chance to adjust. Good examples would be the proliferation, proliferation of the read option concepts or Chip Kelly's use of tempo. At the same time, we see that coaches and coaching in general can be maddeningly beholden to traditional concepts of generally accepted wisdom, i.e., the infuriating reluctance to go in on fourth uh, to go for it on fourth down in very obvious situations. Um, given that the rule book allows for us to or allows for the use of laterals, backward passes, and downfield throws by players other than the quarterback, why do we not see these techniques utilized as the basic for dynamic and holy? original style of offense. These type of plays would basically be an extension of the read option concepts that quarterbacks already apply routinely, but with additional options for running backs or wide receivers to make a simple pass. If they see a certain look from the defense, I find it hard to believe that elite athletes playing skill positions can't execute a 10 yard pass. If these plays were practiced and drilled as part of the base offense, it would seem that more liberal use of these play, these types of plays could be the basis for a transformative offensive system rather than just employed as trick plays. My question is simple. Why do we not see this type of innovation? I feel like part of the reason may be the inherent desire for acceptance in the coaching community and fear of being perceived as frivolous or gimmicky. Your thoughts are appreciated. Best, Justin. I think he had a thesaurus out for that one. What do you think? Oh, he's just, he's just, he's got his vocab on lock. <laughs> um, I thought this was awesome. I thought this was really fun. And I, like, I'm imagining now an offensive system where it's all laterals. You try to keep a play alive as long as it can go on. You run in formation and you have like 
three guys running kind of, you know, they balance it out. So then you practice the little pitch behind, you know, sort of like a, a downfield option, like where you're just constantly, constantly pitching the ball play stays alive for like 20 seconds at a time. I think that could be super effective. Like, I think it could be something that like teams have really, really struggled to defend against at least until they adjust. The problem is it would have to start at low level. I would think, um, because, Frankly, no no kid is going to want to play in that system at a high level because they're looking at the NFL and all that stuff. Um, but I'd love it. Like, I think it'd be so much fun. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of the uh, innovation um, in football, it, it, it does take a long, long time. And um, I think it's a much more conservative sport than uh, than, you know, well, I, I think at the at the high level, it's a it's a very very conservative sport. Um, but I think at the high school level, you can see some of this innovation. I don't know if anybody has done. I mean, effectively, what we're talking about here is like the full like the gadget option offense, um, which I think would be just fun as hell. Um, just have like every one of your receivers be a high school quarterback, uh, <laughs> so they all throw the ball too have like just formational running so that you know where you're going to pitch the ball at any one time so that teams have to defend like blanket coverage over like five guys. Cause you don't know who's going to actually end up with the ball. Um, I think it'd be a lot of fun. You'd have to be like a little bit okay with like a bunch of really, really, really dumb turnovers, which is what I think coaches would have a problem with. Yeah. Because the execution of this is going to be, you know, a little bit rough, uh, but it could be so much fun. No, I think you're right. I think when you look at risk reward stuff, I think a lot of the time, you know, what's safe? Like, oh, power. You know, you hand off the mm-hmm. tailback off tackle. You know, you might lose two yards if there's bad penetration. You know, worst case scenario, the guy fumbles the ball, but it doesn't happen all that often. I think the the problem is the swings and and that kind of thing would be there'd be some really fun plays and and some really great plays, but I don't know if there's going to be like it might be just feast or famine. Like it might work really well, or you turn the ball over or you lose eight yards, you know, like there'd be so many negative plays. I think that it's like, sometimes it's hard to get out, you know, pull yourself out of the hole. But if a lot of the plays have the potential to go 20 yards, then yeah, you could lose eight yards on first down and still get a first down on, on second down, you know? Um, but I, I think we're seeing, it takes a long time for it to get to the NFL. They brought up the the recruiting aspect. Um, you have to, you'd have to do this someplace like what, you know, Chip Kelly did at Oregon where it's not like, yeah, you're not putting a lot of like tight ends and fullbacks in the NFL from Oregon. You're, you're foregoing being able to recruit those guys, but you still had a bunch of skill guys. You could still get quarterbacks, you know, things like that, um, where you could make it work. I think you would have to, you know, what could Oregon state do it? You know, like we were talking about who they should hire as a head coach. If someone was running this, somewhere else and you could go to maybe you could go to Oregon State and you're not recruiting against USC and Stanford for some of those guys but you're you're getting some like Dave said high school quarterbacks that maybe aren't the best thrower in the world but um they can come in and be an athlete and and play whatever position you want to call it and do things like that like that could be fun and then if it's working at Oregon State other people would start to copy it and then if it starts spreading around college football like we saw with Chip Kelly stuff then, you know, you might see more high schools running it and you would see um, eventually trickle kind of into the NFL too. It just takes longer to to 
infiltrate the NFL. And, you know, we're still seeing some, a lot of that Chip Kelly stuff kind of slowly waking its way in there. But having like all of Texas run that kind of spread system, I think that helped, you know, because you, you were seeing this all throughout high school. Um, so, yeah, it's weird. Like, where would you where would you get penetration to be able to do this and, and <laughs> run it efficiently? I think that's the hard part. Yeah, um, and it's yet another thing that Oregon State should have done instead of hiring Jonathan Smith. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Could have. That'd be really, I mean, that would be kind of neat. I think that would be a great spot for it, you know? Yeah, you said penetration. <laughs> um, all right, this is, uh, this is from Futameki. Uh, All-century Pac-12 draft. Oh, God, this is going to require us having memories. We're, yeah. Hi, Dave and Ryan. Please do an all-century fantasy draft for Pac-12 football players. Each of you chooses a player from 2000 or later. But once you pick a player from a team, that team is off the board for good. For example, if someone picks Jake Browning, haha, no more UW players can be picked. Six rounds, snake order rules. By virtue of the coin toss, Dave gets first pick. At the end, please declare a winner. Wow. So we have to pick a player from a team. So there's only 12 players? Yeah, I guess. I mean, like, we'd have to do some research, I think, on this. Um, Doing like a seven on, like a a six on six (laughs) tournament or something? Yeah, that's what's weird. Like, I mean, you'd have to, and then what if I picked, like, what if I had all, like, Heisman winning quarterbacks and you had, you know, like crazy pass rushing defensive tackles? Like, how do you declare a winner? Like, you would have to fill out a full team, I would think, at some point. All right, so what we'll do is we'll do a full team, and we'll do that later, not today. Yeah, we'd have to – that would take – Just no way. There's just no way I can do that right now. No. Okay, so we'll do a full team, and we get an offensive and defensive player from each uh, team, right? Because that will give us 24 players. Uh, Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, well, right? yeah well, okay, I like that. Cool. Um, an All offensive right. and defensive – so we each get an offensive defensive player from each team. It's not right, like right. – if you pick Jake Browning, I can't pick Vita Vea or whatever. All like, right, are you sitting next to that whiteboard of yours right now? Yeah. You want to just write that down for our next week's show? I will do that. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Does it, cool, mean, cool. Does it mean we're going to do any research between now and then? None. 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 <laughs> none whatsoever. But uh, we will we will remember right before we start recording next time, and I will quickly pull up rosters, and we'll just guess our way through it. I like it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks, uh, Futameki. Or whatever. Uh, Mecky. Mecky, right? That's what yeah. I said, didn't I? I don't uh, no. I think I, I said food to Mecky. Just, just live your life. And he just made it up. Um, yeah. It's like a made-up name anyway. Whatever. This is John and Brea. Uh, hi, Ryan and Dave. Your podcast is always the highlight of my week. I feel sorry for you, John, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the March 19th spring practice Pac-12 roundup. Is there anything more Pac-12 than a Friday night Spring game. That's true. Um, let's see. Can you please rank the new Pac-12 head coaches in order of who you think will have the best chance for short, short-term and long-term impact on their respective programs? Or are they each only capable of one or the other? For example, it seems to me that if Kevin Sumlin has short-term success at U of A, he will not be around long-term. Chip Kelly might have the most potential for both. Thanks for all you do to keep the Pac-12 in the hearts and minds of sports fans across the country. John, all right. John and Brea. So the, the five coaches are Cristobal, Jonathan Smith, Kevin Sumlin, Herm Edwards, and Chip Kelly. Okay. 
All right, best chance for short term. So in the short term, is he talking like next year or is he talking in the next two to three years or are we talking here? Um, I think Kevin Sumlin might win next year or this year for the shortest of short terms. Okay. Because he inherits uh, – they had a lot of young players last year that played um, and Khalil Tate. I mean, are we being like – are we are we factoring in the actual coach? Because Herm Edwards also counts there because they also have a big returning squad. It's just it's Herm Edwards. Yeah, but I trust like what Kevin Sumlin can do with Khalil Tate than what Herm Edwards can do with anybody. Okay, so we're going Sumlin and then are we going – I mean, is this on the shortest of short term, like just next year? Yeah, because like if you're going to say, say, I think Chip Kelly's going to struggle in 2018 and not in 2019. So like if you're talking two years, I would put Chip Kelly up there too, you know. Um, if Let's just say next year then. All right, so Sumlin. Uh, uh, Definitely not Jonathan Smith. No, because that's that's a 1-11 squad. Um <sighs> Uh, I'm, I can't put Herm Edwards here. No. Uh, so it's either Cristobal or Chip. Probably. I think Cristobal because of the continuity, there, there's continuity with the staff and Jim Levitt, um, and Justin Herbert. So I think I would go, I would go Cristobal second and then Chip Kelly, which I, I, I really don't think this year is going to be that good. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but I do think he's going to get it turned around, you know, short term within two years or three, you know, two or three years. Um, and I probably go Herm with the people coming back and then, uh, then you go with the beeves, I guess. Cause it's going to be, that's going to be tough. That's going to take okay. a little while. And then the long term in college football is like three to five years. And so for three to five, I'm going chip, chip Kelly one, someone number two or Cristobal number two. <sighs> okay. So I think, John's point would be that if he does really well, like what if, you know, Arizona wins the Pac-12 South this year, like would someone else hire him in two years if he has a lot of success, you know? Do you well, think doesn't he have that weird contract where it would be tough for him to be out after a year? Uh, I think so. But, you know, like three years down the road, like if he has a lot of success, would someone hire him in three years from now? Uh, what's a lot of success? I don't think he's like winning more than one South title in that time. Yeah. It's a, okay. I, I'll yeah. I don't. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go someone too. Um, um, I really like the hire. I think he would he would have been good just about anywhere. So I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it, some people weren't really high on it. But I just was. And then I'd go Cristobal Smith Edwards, even though ASU has so many more advantages than everyone else because he's Herm Edwards. Yeah, it's just hard to get over the Herm Edwards factor. Yeah. So, um, though there's a part of me that's certainly rooting for him at this point, but I just. The more I think about it, the more it's like, man, this is just not going to work. See, I just want to be right now. Like, I don't care about like rooting for him to succeed. I just want to be right. But That's it's right. like, if you're right, like everybody said the same thing. Like it's, it's almost I don't like. Care. I don't care about being right with the crowd. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, we, you know, we both honestly believe that it's a disaster. Like, and it's, and, <laughs> but I really, it's to the point where so many people think it's a disaster. It's like, I just secretly rooting for it not to be. That's, I don't know. It's weird. That's your own little thing. That's my thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, but that was a good how one. Long, how so, long do we go? Oh, uh, we were hour thirty-five. Not bad for not really having a plan at all. No guests and uh, just a few topics of our own, and then all your questions. So that's pretty good. 
pretty great. Yeah, these are these are long. Um, yeah, they're not getting any shorter <laughs> for the from the off season. But yeah. good, I think people want to you know they still want to talk about football, talk about Pac-12 football, and this is a good way to to do it. And the questions are really insightful. Um, we have a lot of smart people, um, yep. like way smarter questions than than I get on my show. I don't know if you same kind of thing on Bro, but um, just a lot of. Uh, yeah, a lot of really highly intelligent people sending in questions. Wait, did we skip a question? Did we? Yeah, we skipped Ryan, I think. Ryan Lepper. Uh, where is that? It's the untapped recruiting well. So we got one more question. Okay. Uh, Dave and Ryan. Was that before? Oh, that was the first. Oh, man. we Okay, we started off. I think I started off this the wrong the one. Only, yeah, this is the only one we skipped. Uh, David Ryan, so my question requires some backstory and context. I served in the Marine Corps from 2009 to 2013. I also played football for a South OC high school. For part of my enlistment, I was stationed aboard aboard Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center 29 Palms. Fancy way of saying the base is in the middle of the desert. Oh, okay. Uh, During my time there, I don't know your lingo. Uh, During my time there, I played (laughs) intramural full contact football with one of the teams on the base. One thing that shocked me while playing was the amount of talented, high-quality football players that participated on these teams. For context, I played against Mark Sanchez, Conrad Ruland, Grant Schwartz. Uh, with many of the veterans leaving the service in fantastic physical condition, more mature than most, and the desire to go to school, is it odd that Pac-12 schools are not looking into these players, much like the LDS players coming back from their missions, especially with more teams trying to incorporate more military-like atmosphere? This may just be my own perception. Thanks, Ryan. P.S. Can't explain how much of a boost and shock it was in 2012 to find out UCLA beat USC's, USC while overseas. Thanks, Jim. Uh, great question. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure why Ryan couldn't say which high school he went to. He's like a South OC high school, so it's like a yeah. secret thing. Um, he just doesn't want to know. He just doesn't want to tell us he went to Tustin. It's fine. Oh, okay. uh, that, was a, just, that was a great question, Ryan. Um, so wait, so full contact intramural football on base how would he how would mark sanchez and like conrad ruling how would those guys play i don't get that like what who would allow mark sanchez to play in like a full contact intramural? no 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 no. what he's saying is um assessing the quality of the guys he was playing against on the base uh they were certainly some talented high high quality guys because he played against oh Mark in high school he played against them. Grant Schwartz in, in high school exactly gotcha okay Whew. I was like yeah. that seems uh, yeah that tripped me up a little bit too but no he, he meant like I know what good quality football is because I played against these guys so I know these guys are actually pretty good um I, I it's a great point um I I don't know that it's I'm trying to think of the last like former military I can remember who was actually playing I know there have been a few. Yeah. USC had a couple guys that, like, yeah. did that. I know, um, I think, like, one of the offensive linemen for the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, he was an active military member. Um, he's, like, in some commercials and stuff. I can't remember his name. But, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it would be kind of one of those things where if you were recruited out of high school somewhat, but then, like, if, if you weren't, if you were a high level recruit out of high school and you, you just want to kind of go to college, you know, like it would have to take someone that was highly recruited, but decides, you know what, I want to enlist first and then maybe decide to come back. 
Um, because if and you does does Army take any of these guys? Like, are, uh, so this might speak to my just complete misunderstanding about the military. But could guys who started out enlisted then go to West Point? I think they can, right? Or yeah, is that's that basically like easy? officer school. Yeah, um, yeah. But they would have to. I mean, it's like it's hard to get into. It's not easy, you know. It's, yeah, uh, but I'm just wondering if maybe Army then gets a decent amount of these guys which is why we don't hear about them as much in the pac 12 yeah maybe um but it would be so the problem is though like say you were like borderline you weren't really getting any pac 12 offers out of high school and you decide to enlist how do you get right better like how are you if you go to a jc then it's like you can play with people that are you know you know similar to what you were doing and if you excel and you're like this top JC quarterback, and people are like, oh wow, what you know, you could watch him in these organized games. I don't know if you would get the kind of exposure playing in a full contact intramural league where maybe you do get a whole lot better. But um, are, are you getting coached the same way you would at a JC to kind of take yourself to that next level where a Pac-12 school would look at you? You know what it makes sense to me as actually um, for schools that really want to cultivate a robust walk-on program that's where it would make a lot of sense because yeah. you get former high school players who are in probably the best shape of their lives um, who will come in and just work their asses off and potentially, you know, turn into um, players, like guys who can actually play. But at the very least, they contribute some discipline and all that stuff to your program. That would be a good strategy. Yeah. Like, go look at, okay, so our incoming class, how many of these guys are former military and then you develop a reputation as a school who's inclined to, you know, really look favorably at those uh, sorts of guys coming in. I think that could work out really well, actually. And I think so you're talking about and I don't know all the rules, but like if you enlist for like four years or whatever in the army and then like you, Dave said, best shape of your life um, and you're playing in that intramural full contact league. So you kept your skills up and then you get you know, there's the different programs where you would get money for college after that then you could go walk on someplace where you're you're on some sort of scholarship through the military and you can walk yeah. on and then eventually you know if you you could you could earn a full scholarship at that school too i wonder if there is any problem with that like i, I don't know if it's still called the gi bill but um i wonder if there's any problem with that against because I know the NCAA is just super capricious and nonsensical with some of its rules, <laughs> and you know you can't be a track at you can't be a track scholarship athlete and walk on right. You have to be the scholarship in football and yes. walk on a track. Yes. So I wonder if like they would have to give up a football scholarship if they're trying to do it with a military guy who's getting you know paid for by the government. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, like for so if you're like track or something and you were there for two years on the track scholarship, then you could go play walk on a football, but you couldn't yeah. just do it right away. Um, I'm not sure what there would be as far as that, uh, as far as the military goes. But yeah, I know we have a bunch of veterans that listen to the show. So let us know if you have any thoughts on that. And uh, Ryan, you might have some thoughts on that too. Yeah, um, let us know if you know anything about this because we clearly know Jack. <laughs> Uh, but yeah i I think the walk-on aspect is is legit you know where you know you're gonna like you might not offer some kid that you haven't seen play organized football some guys in the program who are gonna kick your scholarship athletes butts (laughs) like all that run them into the ground and i think that would uh i think that would go a long way towards 
some of these programs. And so. you're talking about, you know, it's like the mission thing. You're talking, this is going to be a kid that's four years older. So he's like 21 years old or yeah. something, you know? Um, yeah. So you have those BYU teams where there's like a bunch of 26 year old dudes. Like you could have a little bit of that too. For sure. Maybe this is a whole new program. We're developing it right here, right now. You need walk-ons. Get these guys that were enlisted in the military for three or four years or whatever. I don't know. See, the problem is I'm not sure. Could Like if it was three or four years, that's fine. But if you're talking like six years, you haven't played high school football for six years, I think that would be a lot tougher. But if you were three or four years out of high school where you were pretty good, but just maybe not packed to a level, you played, you know, nonstop of this intramural full contact stuff. And maybe there's some pretty good coaching there. I don't know. And you get in way better shape. Maybe that would work. Maybe. Awesome. Okay. Well, now we extended that to hour and 45 minutes, Dave. Thanks. Perfect. I, I didn't <laughs> like that 30. I wanted to bring it into the 40s. <laughs> awesome. Well, great question, Ryan, and everyone else, uh, too. We'll try to get a, a guest next week um, talking more Pac 12 stuff. Let us know what you want to talk about. I will write that on the, the, the whiteboard, Dave, about the uh, the topics, uh, the, uh, the draft we're going to do. So we're going to pick. Each of us gets one pick from each school, right? We get one offensive and one defensive pick from each okay. school. Okay. So we can't so I think the way he was setting it up, it's like you could take USC and I couldn't pick someone from there, but we each get one. Okay. Yeah. Um but so it'll just be we'll go we'll take turns. You just can't pick someone that has already been taken. Right. Okay. We'll do that. Um and we'll and I don't know how we're gonna see who wins. We'd have to like put it to a vote or something. Yeah, let's do that. That'll be fun. See who uh, who does that. All right, cool. Um, oh, do we have to do? Okay, is it full on? Just do we need every position filled, or could you pick a quarterback? I mean, if you wanna, if you wanna play the sport of football, yes, I think we do. I think we. So here's here's my idea. Okay. We we each pick twenty four guys. Um, so I don't know why we're picking twenty four, just because there's twelve teams in the league. Um, we each get an offensive and defensive player from each team, okay? Yeah. So that's that's what it is, and uh, we're going to fill out a defense and an offense. So I think you have to account for position. So now, I'm not going to get too excited about, uh, you know, whether this guy was a tight end or an X receiver or a slot receiver or whatever. You just – like fantasy football rules. Like you just need four receivers or three receivers yeah. or whatever it is. And you need like offense you want. If you want to run, if you want to run a spread, if you want to run USC's offense with just a couple wide receivers from the mid two thousands, go right ahead. I don't care. You um, live your life. But we would need five offensive linemen. Is that's going to be tough. That that's not going to be easy. But you know, what? I'm going to do what the offensive line coaches always say. I'm just going to start my best five. I'm not going to worry about whether it's a center. No, no, no. Yeah, I wouldn't. But but you, we're going to say we should have five offensive linemen. It's not like you can put need, six quarterbacks on your team. Well, we need five OL unless you've got a really big tight end you have in mind. Okay. Um, and then I think defense there's a little more leeway. Like you might have, you know, two or three down linemen. And you run a nickel against you. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't decided. You could have a whole big secondary. You could have like five linebackers, whatever. I think as long like if you don't. It's not like you have all like safeties. Like that's probably not going to work. But yeah, okay, um, yep. man, that's going to take some work. This is going to take some time. It's going to be really dull and interesting for everyone out there. But it's going to be excited. <laughs> and then, who do you go for? Like, do I want you know? If there's a really good lineman you want, you know, and I get first pick. You do. Yeah. 
What, okay, what? one quick thing. What about there are players who made their reputation uh, in the NFL but weren't necessarily that good while they were in college? You are getting last year in college version of this person. Okay, so this is last year in college. This is not. I'll give you. I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the greatest offensive linemen in NFL history, who went to USC, is Anthony Munoz, Hall of Famer, all that. He was hurt a lot of his time. He he just wasn't that kind of a player while he was at USC. But his NFL reputation elevates him. But if you would say, "Hey, I got Anthony Munoz on my team," someone might vote like, "Hey, that's a really good." You know, but well, to he, be clear, to be clear, we're only doing this since two thousand, right? I'm, I'm, yeah, just for example, if there's who would be, I don't know if there's anyone like that was like just not that good in college and they like kicked ass in the NFL. <laughs> um, I mean, Matt Castle would be like the only guy who even kind of makes sense. Yeah, like but, never started at USC and went yeah, eleven and five he, for the he's Patriots. Not gonna, he's not going to win either of our starting. No, no, no. So. But but guys like that. Okay, just to clarify. Sweet. All right. Well, I guess we should wrap it up. That would be uh, the bearded man, David Woods, uh, doing a great job covering the Pac-12 all the way from Atlanta. Uh, I know. I'm amazing. How do you do that, Dave? That's just. I generally don't. (laughs) And uh, I'm Ryan Abraham here, right here in SoCal. We are together. Make up the podcast of champions. We love hearing from you. Thanks for all the emails. Thanks for all the questions. And we will talk to you next time.